Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Stacy Murphy of BK Farmyard to talk about her experience urban farming in Brooklyn. Stacy has taught hundreds of teens and adults how to grow, harvest, and prepare fresh foods. She is a recovering engineer and architect turned green garden geek and farm nerd. Stacy founded BK Farmyards, a cooperative of urban farmers in Brooklyn dedicated to social justice through urban agriculture and helped create over an acre of new farmyards in Brooklyn. She has been featured on Martha Stewart Radio, PBS Online, and once appeared on the David Letterman Show with a giant radish. We're going to talk about that. She envisions a world where everyone is nourished by the magic of fresh, affordable, and culturally exciting food with extra points if it's homegrown. Welcome to the show today, Stacy. Thanks so much. Great to, great to be here, and I really love your show. I'm a big fan, so I'm well, excited. Well, thank you. 
great to have you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. I My story really starts in 2009 in New York City. I had a revelation at the farmer's market. Uh-huh. I was on my way to work and dreading going to work. I felt like, <laughs> you know, I just commuted 40 minutes uh-huh. to get to work. And all I wanted to do was hang out at the farmer's market. And uh, I loved fresh food and I loved, uh, you know, picking out what I was going to eat all week. Mm-hmm. And and I, and that day I ended up not going to work. Uh, because <laughs> you ditched. <laughs> Yeah, I had this moment where I realized that all the things that were unhappy in my life, I could trace to this idea of feeling like a tourist. You know, I lived in one neighborhood. Uh I commuted 40 minutes to another neighborhood. Wow. I was an architect at the time, so I was designing buildings in communities that weren't mine. Uh And I didn't have a lot of experience with those people. And so I felt disconnected. I felt completely disconnected to my community, to my neighbors, and totally disconnected to the earth because I was spending all my time on the subway and at a desk. And yeah, yeah, so I just had this moment where I thought, okay, if these are all the things that are making me unhappy, what's the mechanism to my happiness? Mm -hmm. And I I remembered back to my childhood growing food with my mom in our backyard garden. And it was, it was huge and it was gorgeous. Uh And I, I remember picking fresh food and eating it. So I decided to try to design that into my life. You know, here I am, an architectural designer. So I'm like, all right, let's design my life, redesign the whole thing. Right. And yeah. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, I don't have a yard. I'm in Brooklyn. It's like the densest city in the world uh-huh. is New York City. And I don't have access to any land. So what am I going to do? And so I started banging on doors and yelling on street corners, asking people if I could, (laughs) (laughs) uh, if I could grow food in their backyards. And Uh luckily for me, somebody took me up on it. And um, so it was was the moment when I realized that was what was going to truly make me happy was feeling connected to my neighbors, connected Mm. to the earth and fresh homegrown food. And, you know, I don't ever do anything partway. So I, you know, Thank you, instead of just, yeah, so instead of just becoming a gardener and I shouldn't say just cause that's, that's a whole thing. Right. Um, but I was like, I want to make this my profession. And mm-hmm. so I went after, you know, becoming an urban farmer and spreading more urban farms uh, throughout Brooklyn and teaming up with other growers. Yeah. So yeah, that was the moment that my life just completely changed. <laughs> nice. So you've used the word urban farmer several times, and you've really claimed that. I can tell it in your voice. What does that mean to you? Mm, It's a great question. I consider myself an urban farmer because by the USDA definition, a farmer sells at least $1,000 in revenue from a single farm. Oh. Um, and that, that is the definition of a farm. Oh. And off of, yeah, off of one backyard, I was selling $2,500 worth of groceries. So that wow. made me an instant urban farmer. Uh-huh. But that's not to say that, um, that a gardener doesn't grow the same amount of food and mm-hmm. call themselves a gardener. It's really interesting to me. I love how we identify with these different terms. And yeah. I think some... 
sometimes people, when it's their hobby, they identify as a gardener. Right. And sometimes if it's their lifestyle, mm-hmm. if it's their, definitely if it's their business, they call themselves an urban farmer. But some people, if it's their lifestyle, like they're always outside in the ground growing food and it's a, it's a part of their everyday experience uh-huh. and they're giving food away to all their neighbors. A lot of times those people will call themselves community farmers or urban Mm, farmers. So mm -hmm. I love when people tell me their definition of urban farmer and gardener. I would love to hear everybody else's definitions. (laughs) Yay. So in your bio, you mentioned David Letterman. You got to tell that story. That's got to be a great one. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I I kind of see that show as probably one of my biggest failures. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so I I got the call uh, from a friend saying David Letterman is looking for people with really large vegetables. Oh, <laughs> and and it just so happened that the day before I had seen this gigantic radish. It was supposed to be a cherry radish, you know, like the size of like a a quarter. Right. And and I saw it in the ground, and it was at larger than a softball. Uh huh. And. I didn't pull it out of the ground because it hadn't yet bolted and it ha- and it was still growing. There was no sign of it stopping, so I left it in the ground. But when I got that call, I was like, I got a giant radish. Maybe David Letterman will be interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough, when I sent in this photo of this giant radish and me, I get called on to the show and um, it was an incredible experience. And you know, they dolled me up with all kinds of makeup and they put me out on stage and I was all the way across the stage from David Letterman. So I didn't get to see him up close and personal. Uh-huh. And they did like a big reveal, you know, here's Stacy and her giant radish and the curtain goes up and there's me with my giant radish. And, um, my biggest failure in that moment is that I really wanted to shed light on the gardening movement in New York City and the farming movement in New York City right. and how diverse it was and how fabulous it was that people were growing their own food. And he asked me a question that kind of threw me off and I couldn't quite hear him. And next thing I knew, the curtain was dropping and there went my oh. chance. And I was so frustrated because I felt like here was a chance on national TV to show the importance of community, communities coming together, growing food. food yeah. And I feel like I failed the movement. Mm. <laughs> and you had a great half out of it. Yeah, it was really fun. I yeah. had a great time working with their staff. <laughs> Fantastic. So who has made the biggest impact on your work? Well, I have to say Buckminster Fuller has mm. been a person that constantly comes back into my focus. Uh-huh. And one of the reasons I love this man so dearly is that he made this comment at some point saying, pollution is nothing but the resources that we haven't yet figured out how to use. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he just paraphrased this idea that Mother Nature doesn't make waste. Right. And, and humans haven't yet figured out how to deal with all their waste. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, for me, this man is just visionary. He was way ahead of his time. He was talking about the same things we're talking about today, but he was talking about them a hundred years ago. Right. And he was inspiring generations of people to go out and produce the sustainability movement, to make new efforts to, 
you know, try new experiments and to see what the world might be like if we were trying to solve all of the Earth's problems for 100% of the people 100% of the time. So mm -hmm. he keeps coming back as this person that always inspires me. Wow. Wow, and he did a lot of great work in the world, that is for sure. Yeah. So local and homegrown is on the rise. What do you think the government could do to help citizens who are building their local food system resilience? What a great tie-in. Uh, the Buckminster Fuller mm, uh, question mm -hmm. just ties right into this. One of the things that I would love to see is our government standing up right next to all of our community gardeners and taking a stand for all of our waste and saying, mm. this is not waste, this is, this is resources that we're not utilizing. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see government working together with a gardening coalition with a farming coalition to look at all those waste streams and how to repurpose them. Yeah. And, and part of that, I think that would be really interesting. And I made a, a proposition years ago and I tried to raise money for it and it never was successful. I would love to see it happen somewhere. So maybe somebody can take this idea and run with it. The idea of a website that would be similar to Facebook, it would be social, but then it's, that with the mixture of almost Google Analytics, where people would post their gardening projects, their farming projects, their sustainability projects, and uh -huh. then they would be able to track how much waste they had repurposed. Oh. Uh, and so all of this data could be collected around how the waste is repurposed and how much of it could be repurposed. And what that would do in the long run is government would start to see gardeners as a resource and mm -hmm. farmers as a resource, and they would look to them for policy changes. And that would be really exciting when we start to show how much our efforts are doing to produce a better future, yeah. and government stands up, takes notice, and then puts in policies that are going to help us do even more of that. Wow. You know, that's very interesting because I just interviewed Jerome Osentowski, and he was on the show uh, on Thursday. And talking just about this, he called it carbon farming, where we're, mm -hmm. yeah, where we're actually, um, you know, harvesting the waste resources and, you know, basically turning them into compost. Um, yeah, so. and it could be so many things, right? Yeah. On our farms in Brooklyn, we went to our coffee roasters and we would collect uh, all their coffee chaff yep. for compost. But we would also grab all their burlap sacks, which were all organic materials. Oh, yes. And we, and we would lay those in our pathways uh, as a way to suppress uh, weeds. And they would decompose over time right into the soil. And then when we're, you know, when we're ready, we just lay more. And there's a constant supply coming out of the coffee roaster. Wow. So we repurposed so many of those bags. I can't even tell you. <laughs> so that, that, that's a surprise. It's, you know, I, I love it when people share something with me on the show and it's like, oh, that's surprising. I've not heard that before. That is a great yeah, use of a resource. It's a great little hack. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it looks, you know, your pathways are just so gorgeous with all those little bags and the text on the bags and sometimes the graphics on the bag. Yeah. And yeah, it's an, it's an amazing process. So what's it like farming in Brooklyn, and what makes it unique? <laughs> so New York City is probably the most diverse city that I know in the United States. Mm -hmm. 
I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but this is my experience. And uh, when we grow food in New York City, there's we have one farm that's a one-acre farm on the front lawn of five high schools. And it's right on ground level, and there's just a fence that's about three feet tall, very open fence, uh-huh. dividing the farm from the street. And people are always walking by, and they're offering advice. They're, mm-hmm. they're giving you they're giving you plants to uh-huh. plant into the ground. Uh, they're giving you seeds. They ask to come on and help you. Uh, we've had people in full-on suits coming home <laughs> from work and saying, we just really want to do some digging, you know, let's do a workout. So the diversity of people means that we work with a diversity of plants, too, because yeah. That particular farm was selling at a farmer's market, and it's a primarily West Indian population. Right. So we were growing a lot of crops specifically for that culture. It, oh, wow. You know, we should have called it the Kalaloo farm because we grew so much Kalaloo. So growing in New York City is, is incredible because you you get to know so many food traditions. Oh, yes. And you get to know so many of the plants that lead to those cultural traditions. hmm Wow. So you've worked with lots of, lots of gardeners then along the way. Yeah, it's it's incredible. The movement in New York City has been around for many, many years. Yeah. And, you know, since the 70s when Karen Washington was one of the people who stood up for community gardens uh-huh. and uh, ma- maintained those properties, kept them from going to people who were going to build gigantic buildings. And ever since then, there's been generations of they, some people call themselves community gardeners. Some people call themselves community farmers. Right. And it's a network of people that share resources. It's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible network in New York City. Wow. So what's the biggest mistake you see beginning growers make? <laughs> well, I would have to say the, the biggest mistake is just being afraid of failure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess this goes for all of life, right? Yeah. Uh, Welcome to and, life. <laughs> so everybody fails to some extent when they are growing food. I still fail. <laughs> well, yeah, I do too uh, and, after 42 years. Of course, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you're going to overwater, you're going to underwater, you're going to plant the wrong thing at the wrong time, you're going to harvest too deeply, you're going to do it all. And it's a matter of diving in and embodying those lessons and learning from them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a, what's the quote? It's from Winston Churchill, that uh, success is the ability to go from one failure to another without losing your enthusiasm or something like that. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So instead of seeing them as failures, I would love for people to just see it as one giant experiment and yeah. having fun. I think sometimes the stakes can be really high. Let's say you are on a really tight budget and gardening is your method to reduce your grocery budget. Uh-huh. Your stakes are higher. And so failure oh, yeah. feels harder, right? Yep. And, and then the more that you worry about that failure, the less time you spend actually doing the next thing. Mm-hmm. So you can get stuck in that worrying mentality. So just jump out of that and keep trying and, you know, know yourself 
to know whether you're the kind of person who dives in and tries everything themselves and learns from it, or if you're the type of person who needs a mentor that Mm. will tell you exactly what to do, A, B, C, and then D. Mm -hmm. And know which person you are and find the right support for that. And I'm kind of a hybrid person, so what I did my first year, because I was so afraid of failure, Uh partially because I was not only growing food for myself, but the idea of my project was that I was going to be feeding the family whose plot I was on and other families in the neighborhood. So I was feeling really pressured to get a lot of food out of this site. So what I did is I dove in with all of my knowledge and, you know, all my skills and I did research, I dove in, but then I also had a mentor that was on, it was like an emergency line. (laughs) (laughs) And this was who I called if something went wrong and I needed to do something immediately. Yeah. And because I didn't want to do all the research, let's say something went wrong, it's really nice to just be able to ask somebody yeah. what's going on and what do I do next. So I lined up that emergency person and had them on call. <laughs> nice. So you mentioned this first garden that you've found in somebody else's yard. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it was surprisingly easy. I thought it was going to be really hard, and I was ready for, you know, the hard search. Uh-huh. And I I basically, I went to a gardening event where there was booths and tables set up, uh-huh. people with information about gardening in the local area. And I set up my own booth, and I put up a little sign that said, I want to grow food in your yard sign your name and your email here if I can come take a look at your yard. Wow. And I collected ma- names and emails. And I told, I gave a little brochure that said, here's what I want to do. Yep. And here's what y- you can expect. You know, you get a changing, gorgeous landscape. Uh-huh. You get fresh produce throughout the season. Uh, and all of this for, you know, no money up front. And I'm basically your personal landscape designer, right? So Nice. I put that up. Yeah, I put that out, and unfortunately, that didn't get my first person, Uh Uh, but I got a lot of connections that way, and it led me to the realization that the place that I needed to go was an area of Brooklyn that had yards, and Mm. specifically yards that had access to the yards from the street to make my life easier versus going through somebody's brownstone, right? Yeah. So... Then, then I realized I need to find somebody in that neighborhood. Well, I just went to the street corner, and I went to the farmer's market because I figured people who are at the farmer's market enjoy fresh food, and I had my little flyer with my information, and I was just yelling. And I yelled <laughs> the same thing over and so over. So liter- literally yelled, you were yelling. Yeah. Over and over I yelled, hey, do you have a yard? And then if people look, at me to see what I was, where I was going to go with, hey, do you have a yard? Then I would follow up with, can I farm it? And they would look at me kind of strange, and some of them walked away confused, and uh-huh. other people thought, that's an amazing idea, and they would come up and get my information. So from there, I ended up getting the first yard. It was a woman who saw me, thought it was a great idea. She passed it on to all of her friends, and one of her friends took me up on it. Okay. Oh, wow. That is absolutely, truly epic. So it's all about just asking for what you want and doing it in a very public place. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wow. So you have a couple of really cool projects you're working on right now. 
let's talk about your book. It's called My Dinosaur Ate My Broccoli. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. I was thinking one day about our future generation mm -hmm. and how to get them really excited about fresh food and gardening. You know, they're the ones who are going to help us make a better future for all, for, all, for the planet, for yeah. our communities and for our bodies. So how do we get them really excited? And at the time, I, I was on the Internet, and I think I might have been on Amazon, and I saw, something, I saw a book with a dinosaur, and I, I just put the two together. And I thought, what if we make fantastical tales of dinosaurs and fresh vegetables and gardening mm -hmm. uh, and really spark imagination? So that's how the idea got started. And it started, too, as a series, not just one. Like I said, I never do anything part way. I always <laughs> right. go all the way. So we've already got the first 10 books lined up, and wow. we're working currently on the second two books in the series, My Dinosaur Sat on My Shiitake and <laughs> My my Dinosaur Farted in My Greenhouse, which will come out in the fall. Oh, nice. And so, <laughs> so these books, all of them have lessons around how fresh foods are healing and it's not it's not like beat yourself over the head with the lesson right it's kind of woven woven into a beautiful a very beautiful tale and just gorgeous illustrations by the very talented eileen schaefer so yeah if you're if you're interested if you have kids or grandkids uh -huh. that would benefit from those books uh, you can check out my dinosaur ate my broccoli it's on amazon now and the next two will be available in the fall Fantastic. So I'm sure you have a website for this book series. Can you tell us it? Yeah, so you can check them out on planetbambino.com. Oh, nice. All right, cool. Fantastic. So the other project you're working on that I'm really excited about is an upcoming summit that I'm actually participating in. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I'm so happy to host you there. It's going to hmm, be a thanks. great event. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the Garden Hack Summit, mm -hmm. and it's airing July 26th through July 31st, and it's essentially for people who are gardeners who are looking for ways to save time, energy, and resources uh, to, to do things effectively in their garden to grow more food with uh -huh. more ease and also with more joy. So uh, the speakers, there's 14 speakers and myself who are sharing some of their best tips and strategies. Uh, and we're going to have you on board where you're going to talk about a soil hack to build soil. So we're oh, super yeah. excited. Yeah. And I just think that so many people are going to get a lot out of this if this is your first or second year growing for mm -hmm. sure. And we, we have some advanced stuff too for some of those people that have been around the block. Nice. Nice. So when is it? Oh, so the event airs July 25th through July 31st, uh -huh. and if you want to check it out, you can go to gardenhacksummit.com. Perfect. Fantastic. So, can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it? Yeah, failures are the best learning experiences, <laughs> yeah, right? that that's is the case. That's Nobody ever says, I learned so much from that success. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I would say one of my biggest, biggest failures, my first year gardening, 
I just didn't know when to give up on something. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm the kind of lazy gardener. I like to take the easy way through everything. I choose plants that are going to hold up to my neglect, basically. Uh-huh. I love working with, I love working with plants, but I also have a very full life. And so I want to find those plants that are going to work with me in that way. And so my first season growing food, what I knew from childhood is that zucchini and summer squash, they grow like crazy. You can get so much food out of just one or two of those plants, right? Oh, yeah. And so I included a couple of those plants in my first crop plan for my first growing season. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to get a huge harvest. And what I started to notice was uh, that the plant was not looking so good. It grew about three feet in diameter. It was very large. It was starting to bear its first fruit. And then all of a sudden, it was starting to not look so good. Uh And what I found out is that the growing conditions where I grew up and the growing conditions where I was in this moment were a little bit different Mm -hmm. in that in New York City, the squash vine borer is relentless. Oh, wow. And for those of you, yeah, for those of you who don't know what the squash vine borer is, it basically burrows into the center stalk of the squash and it kills the plant from the inside out. Oh, and wow. what what happens is that the plant looks like it's wilting. It looks like it needs water. It just starts wilting. Mm-hmm. And if you look closely, what you'll see is that there's like sawdust on the stems of the plant. Oh, wow. And you can see where the little vine borers have bored into the hollow stem of your squash plant. Uh-huh. And, and, this is, this is where the failure part comes in. So I tried and tried and tried to beat that squash vine borer. I tried to kill mm. every one of those squash vine borers, pull them out. I, you had to hunt them in the morning because that was the time when you could see them easiest in the, in the morning sun. Um, I tried everything to kill them, and they, I couldn't get them all. There was just Too many hundreds of them. of them. Yeah. And, and every time I thought the plant was coming back, it would die down again. I tried burying the whole plant, which is what a lot of gardeners do in New York City when this happens, because the plant will grow back. All the all the stems will turn into roots. And oh, interesting. It'll, uh-huh. it'll root deeper into the ground. But all those pests are still there. And so if you can't break that pest life cycle, you're, it's just an uphill battle. So I had about nine square feet of space that these plants were taking up. Mm-hmm. And I... I spent months trying to get fruit out of these plants, <laughs> and and in the end, all I had was a story. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my biggest failure was, I think I could have done a little bit more research to understand what was going on, and I might have made the decision to just pull them out at an early stage and put something else in that, that I knew was going to bear fruit. The other pathway would have been to understand that in that area, that pest is a particularly bad one, uh-huh. um, and to do something about it ahead of time, preventative. I was going so, to ask you what um, that is. It's tricky. Those little suckers are tricky. Uh-huh. So a lot of people will wrap the stems, all the stems. Now imagine you have a big squash plant. Oh, yeah. They'll wrap the stem, yeah, wrap them with tinfoil. It's like a physical barrier, uh-huh. and the moth that lays the egg gets scared away by its own reflection, mm. I think, or by the, yeah, so it's a lot of work. So what I decided is that even the preventative strategy <laughs> didn't, 
fall into my lazy gardening yeah, sometimes. Uh, strategy. So yep. I just decided never to grow that again. And instead, I only grow solid stem squash plants. Oh. Something like, yeah, a squash gourd, like a tromboncino. Oh, yes, which yes. Grows up a vine. Yeah, it grows up a vine, saves a lot of space, no squash vine borer, and lots of fruit. So that's my biggest failure, and that's what I learned. <laughs> well, and that's a nice workaround. Yeah. Definitely a nice workaround. So what do you consider yeah. your biggest success? Mm, easily the biggest success is the youth farm at the High School for Public Service in uh-huh. Brooklyn. That is the one-acre farm on the front lawn of five high schools, and it has changed so many people's lives. Twelve youth farmers work every summer. They get a paid job there. There is an adult apprenticeship program mm-hmm. where dozens of people have been trained and they've gone on to start their own urban farms. Wow. Uh, and the youth that have worked there, not only the, the youth that's worked there, but all the schools have access to this farm and cooking lessons and math lessons and science lessons. And I have witnessed so many deep transformations mm, uh, of these students. Yeah. Students who fail in the typical school system thrive out on the farm. And Isn't that amazing how that like, works? Yeah, yeah. I, it is a gift, and I'm so happy that I was able to help create it with the school, and it's been passed on to you know, the next generation of growers, mm-hmm. and I watch from afar, and it's just incredible how much food they grow, uh, the community support, and the, the number of kids who have changed their lives, their life path because uh-huh. of this farm. Yeah. Oh, nice, 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 nice. So what drives you? <laughs> I think my biggest driver is that I, I, in my heart, I know and I believe that everybody deserves the right to fresh, affordable, and culturally relevant and exciting food. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, our our society puts a price tag on food items and it throws some wrenches into the works about who has access to what. And in my heart, I know that we as a society are going to be able to figure out the next version of the food system where everybody has fresh, affordable and culturally relevant food wow. so that they can continue their traditions. I love that vision. I'm on board. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in this process? <laughs> there are a couple of books that are gardening books, uh-huh. and then there are a couple of books that are sci-fi. So oh. the sci-fi, yeah, the sci-fi book that was most influential for me, and I'll just mention it quickly. I don't know the name of it, but it's okay. Uh, the premise of the story was that plants take over the earth. Oh. And and in this book, it opened my eyes to the idea that plants have sentient, sentient wisdom mm. and that we are working with plants. Uh, it is not our willpower that is creating gardens. We are create, co-creating them with the plants. And so that book really asked important questions of me to see... Um, the world through a different lens, and sounds, sounds a little so bit that, sounds a little bit like Botany of Desire. That's what he that's what uh, he proposes in that book. 
Yeah, and maybe he read the same sci-fi book I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that sci-fi book was called Plants. It might have, that might be the title. Mm. But the book I would say that has made the biggest impact on my growing, probably a lot of people cite the same book, is John Jevons' How to Grow More Food. Oh, yes. Uh, that, that book is just phenomenal. It mm-hmm. has years and years of data to learn from. It has really cool diagrams that you can look at and you can understand what he's talking about. That book is just priceless. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? My final piece of advice is go on out there and do it. (laughs) (laughs) Plant something Um, in the garden. Yeah, and specifically, maybe you don't have a garden of your own, but you're thinking about it. I would say the first thing to do is go out there and find a garden and ask if you can help harvest. It is uh-huh. one of the, the things that will drive you uh-huh. to keep growing food because it is amazing as you pull food off of a plant, you go and you cook it and you eat it and you can taste all of the soil that created this plant. You can mm-hmm. taste all the earthworms that helped and the, the rainwater and the sunlight. And yeah, so go out there, harvest something, eat it, get connected. Uh-huh. And it's, it's like a drug. You're going to be gardening for the rest of your yeah, life. You're hooked. You're hooked. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Stacey. It has been an epic journey for you, that is for sure. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more? Yeah, I would love to hear from people. And there's two ways to get a hold of me. One is to go to farmyardbootcamp.com. And Mm -hmm. if you sign up there, You'll get regular updates from me about classes, events, tips, uh, garden hacks that I do in my own space. So that's one way to stay connected in the, in the, for the long run. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't normally do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a little experiment here. I'm going to give my email, okay. and I read everything that comes through. So if you have connected to this, this podcast and you want to ask me a question uh, and hear more, you can email me at Stacy S T A C E Y at B as in boy K as in kale farmyards.com. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know that according to the US Food and Drug Administration, two thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's garden to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.